Welcome, beautiful people to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news from the week that was on the only podcast you will ever need. Now, today's show, we're going to talk about a few PlayStation stories and go over Xbox's record quarter and a partner preview showcase that they put on last week. But first, I wanted to quickly talk about the Metal Gear Solid Master Collection that released last week. And it's not doing very well. So a lot of people are complaining about it. I wanted to point out two stories that I found. One was from Tom's Guide. It was an article titled, Metal Gear Solid Master Collection is one of the most disgraceful video game releases in years. The recent remastered bundle is a cash grab that achieves the bare minimum on consoles and is in a shameful state on PC. PC Gamer had an article titled, Players blast Metal Gear Solid Master Collection for missing options, vanished Steam pages, and muddy textures. Absolutely poor and not worth its asking price. The game currently has a 77 Metacritic and a 4.3 user score. All three games currently have a below 60% Steam rating. One of the big early issues that people are encountering is that the PC version, for whatever reason, is capped at 720p, even though Konami did confirm uh, earlier during the game's sort of marketing push within the last two months that uh, the PC version was supposed to be 1080p, and uh, it should be, so it's probably some sort of mistake. And they've acknowledged that they are aware of a lot of the issues that are starting to crop up on Steam. Apparently, there are already mods that that have brought the game up to um, to 4K, other complaints are, you know, I mean, it was something that Konami revealed early on that the game was not really playable on keyboard. You would need a controller, but people found out that there are keyboard controls, but they are absolutely really not usable. I'm sure someone's going to do a speed run <laughs> like with these crummy keyboard controllers. Apparently it's like you can't use the mouse to aim. You have to use keyboard, uh, the actual keys like F or something or U or one of these buttons pulls up the weapon in first person. And I think you use uh, WASD in order to uh, move your gun and move the cursor in order to actually aim. Obviously not a very ideal way to actually play through the game. But I think the reason why I really wanted to touch up on this is... You know, I, for, and this is something I've been reckoning with for quite some time lately, over, over I think over, over like the last month, two months, few months actually, where there was a moment in time uh, in the creation of the internet. And I think it was, for me personally, it was the first time I used an iPhone because the first time I used an iPhone, it had a full built-in web browser which was very different from if you had like a flip phone. The web browser and flip phones was crummy. I remember encountering the browser on the, on the iPhone and really feeling like I was able to access the PC internet on a phone. And I thought to myself, when I first browsed that, that internet, I said to myself, this is going to make the world a better, much smarter place because we have access to the world's information past, present, and even you know the information can, in some sense, help us predict the future. And with all of that, 
I'm baffled by how stupid uh, so, so many people still continue to be. The fact that apparently there are people out there that are genuinely surprised by how Konami handled this. And I think that part of me doesn't understand it. Part of me is trying to understand what's happening here. Where I'm sitting back and I'm going, why is anyone surprised by this? Like, we have access to more than enough information to understand who Konami is as a company. To think that somehow overnight this company was going to change their prime core objectives as a company is baffling to me. That anyone would be this stupid to think that Konami would treat not just this franchise, but any of their franchises with any amount of respect. It's like, I just don't understand where this stupidity comes from. Like, I really don't. Maybe it's just the the nostalgic part of your brain is shrouding the smart part of your brain. Like, like Like, you're so hopeful that they are going to do this franchise justice that you, like I said, you 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 sort of omit the common sense part of your brain. You you almost like put it outside. You lock the door, and, and 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 you're in there with just it's just you and your hope. You're just like yes, they they are going to do this game justice. They are going to do a great job. And I think that there are aspects of this collection where you sort of get some shades of that. Like I think during the preview periods, I had commended. Uh, Konami for, you know, some of the parts of the collection. Like, it seems like some of the history was intact in the way that they presented it. The fact that apparently when you buy the game, you have access to um, the different versions, the Japanese version, the PAL version. I have no idea why anyone would want access to the PAL version because it runs at 50 hertz. It's actually one of those things where the PAL version just honestly shouldn't even exist but I, I i just genuinely don't understand where this trust comes from right you have a company that was very public in their decision making when it came to a point in time where they decided that they no longer wanted anything to do with video games it's very public how they treated not just kojima but Konami staff as a whole. It's very public in terms of how they treated their franchises once they decided to make this pachinko mobile pivot that they decided to 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 do as a company. And it's extremely apparent that at this moment in time, even from when they first announced this collection, that Konami is only here, they've only arrived at this conclusion because internally they believe that there is good money to be made here. At one point in time, they decided that there was no money in video games anymore. Even if they owned the rights to some of the most valuable intellectual property in our industry's history, it didn't matter to them because they felt that the cost of video games was rising too much. 
and they didn't feel like they were getting the types of returns that they wanted, you know, 700% return on investment. They just didn't want to go down that, that road anymore. We've also seen, you know, how they trigger the intellectual property with, you know, Castlevania. I've, I've talked about this before, turning into like a soft core porn pachinko machine, all this garbage that they did. A lot of people, some people forgot, but some people still remember when there was this video that made it out into the wild that looked like a proper Metal Gear Solid remaster. And then people quickly found out that no, it's actually just a pachinko machine. And but the the visual looked the visuals looked amazing. It looked like it could have been a remaster. And now, you know, Konami has made this decision that okay, the money's back. You know, they saw the fever that was created through actually I, I feel like through rumors. Rumors of Blue Point working on a Metal Gear Solid remake. Rumors of something Silent Hill related. Now, all of a sudden, Konami comes forward and they announce like five different Silent Hill projects in one fell swoop. They announce these two Metal Gear Solid uh, projects, the Delta Snake Eater remake and this collection. They brand this collection volume one because they are optimistic that it will do well enough where they'll be able to get themselves over to a volume two. And I just genuinely don't understand how people can be so quickly swindled by Konami or, or how you allow yourself to be so shrouded by nostalgia and love for this franchise that you take that gamble, and it really is a gamble, of giving Konami $59.99. Metal Gear Solid, for me... I feel pretty confident saying that it's my favorite video game of all time. If someone asked me to make a list, I feel pretty confident that, you know, number one, 100% confident Metal Gear Solid is in my top five, but I feel pretty confident that it would fall under number one. It was one of my first PlayStation games. I remember the exact place where I got it. It was a Toys R Us. It is one of the few original physical copies that I still own. Like I still have that original PlayStation copy because that game meant so much to me. And as such a huge Metal Gear Solid fan, the moment that they announced this connection, I said, there's no way I'm giving Konami a single penny of, of, of my money. It's just not going to happen. And the same goes for this Delta remake. I don't care how. Uh, good at looks. We'll discuss a little bit later in today's episode. I'm not giving them a penny. If there's a part of me that ever feels like, okay, maybe I, I want to get that remake, I'm definitely buying used. There's no way I'm going to give Konami any money uh, because I, I just I don't know. Like I feel like those things are conflicting. I personally feel like you can't be a Metal Gear Solid fan and be a Konami fan anymore. Like those two things now directly conflict. After the way they treated Kojima, uh, I don't feel like you can... It's This isn't a situation where you can have your cake and eat it too. You can't love the franchise. You can't love the creator that brought it to us and then at the same time continue to support Konami after what they did. I just... 
I draw a line there. I don't care what they do. Konami, I, I strongly believe that there's not a scenario where I would ever give them another dollar. You know, at the very least, like I said, I would probably go used if I want to get one of their games to ensure that they don't get a dollar. And as I just wanted to quickly touch on this before we move on to the main stories, because I'm just so baffled and astounded by how how many people are surprised by how shitty this port is. This is Konami. This is who Konami has shown you that they are for the, the better part of the last decade. This is who they are. They've shown that they are trying to get things done as cheaply as possible. And they believe that the Metal Gear Solid brand is strong enough where they don't have to go that extra mile. And it's so weird to see people defend this. It's weird to, I think it was IGN's Dustin Ligari who made, he put up a video on Twitter of him showing the keyboard controls. And just to see the people, the number of people in the comments are like, oh, you know, well, you're supposed to use a controller. Or, well, this is best play with controller. Or, well, what do you expect? This game wasn't built for mouse and keyboard. As if somehow it's completely impossible <laughs> for us to believe that they could have properly implemented mouse and keyboard controls into these games. Like, come on, what are we doing here? How are we defending this type of garbage when these companies come through and, 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 and put stuff like this out? And once again, this is kind of one of those situations where if you spent $60, if you were stupid enough <laughs> to trust Konami with $60 of your money, uh, you deserve to have lost every single penny of that. You deserve to sit there like an idiot <laughs> and say to yourself, wow, this is a shitty port. Well, I don't know what the hell you expected from Konami, but there was not a snowball's chance that Konami was going to go back to the drawing board and say, let's invest the proper amount of money in order to honor one of our greatest franchises, basically one of the franchises that put us on the map. I don't know in what universe you thought that Konami existed. It sure as hell was not this one. <laughs> and I just don't get how a company can show you who they are for the, like I said, the better part of a decade. Konami show you that, hey, we are this cheap piece of shit company that does not care at all about the intellectual properties that built this house. For you to trust... <laughs> that they are going to do a great job, a respectful job with Metal Gear Solid. I'm sorry, but you, sir or madam, are an absolute moron. You're a moron. You're an idiot. You're stupid. I don't know how else to put this. I just don't understand how anyone can trust this company at this point in time. Now to our next story, it's a few actually coming from PlayStation. I wanted to start... With this first one, there were some photos leaked last week of an upcoming Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 bundle for this upcoming slim model, as we've sort of coined it, the new PlayStation 5 model. Uh, photos of that box have leaked online, and people noticed fine print that noted that the add-on drive would require an internet connection to pair it to the machine for the first time. Now, when this came out, it felt like it was very almost balanced. I, I wouldn't say exactly 50-50, but 
But there were people that were defending it. There were people that were calling it out. There were some that were noting like, oh, wow, what a big surprise. You bought a digital console and you require the internet. And then there was the other camp that was talking about game preservation, which is that at some point in time, there's no guarantee that these PlayStation servers will exist, which means that, you know, 20 years into the future, someone might try to buy one of these consoles or open this uh, system up for the first time and will not be able to use it. Now, on that first note about, well, you buy a digital-only console, of course, you're going to need an internet. This fine print was taken from a model where the disk drive was included. So remember, this new model, this disk drive is not hard attached to the console. It's more of you're getting sort of that digital edition PlayStation with the disk drive already bundled in. And this fine print came from that box, which meant that this, whatever this check is in order to check the authenticity or to marry that particular disk drive with that particular PlayStation unit, it's not something that is being done during the process of building that system to sell. Even though you're bringing it home and theoretically I'm going to assume that that disk drive is already attached to the console when you bring it out that box, you still can't use it. According to this fine print, even though it's attached to that console, you're still going to have to connect to the internet. And, you know, another point that people are bringing up is, well, that Call of Duty copy that's in there is digital, right? You're still going to need the internet in order to activate, uh, that game or to, to, you know, to download that game. But I think theoretically we can sort of draw a conclusion that even the consoles that don't have that Call of Duty game bundled in, you're going to need to connect to the internet for the first time. Now, some people have noted that this may be partly due to section 1201 of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act which says it is illegal to, quote, circumvent a technological measure that effectively controls access to a copyrighted work, which in this case is the firmware on the disk drive. Other people have noted that this may be an effort from PlayStation to combat third-party disk drives or combat um, someone taking one of their drives and modifying it in a way in order to take, you know, bootleg uh, games or something like that, right? Uh, which I think are very valid points. I think there are a lot of companies that uh, if they're able to create unauthorized third-party drives and they can sell it cheaper than $70, which let's be honest, they can definitely bring that price point down. I think there would be an attempt to create stuff like that and try to put it out onto the, the, uh, the market bootleg drives, right? So, I think I have my feet in in both of these camps where I think that PlayStation has a very good reason for needing to do this online check, sort of adding this DRM in a sense to ensure that they protect themselves, not only just because of that copyright act, but I think also to protect themselves from someone modifying the drive or third-party manufacturers trying to put drives out there. But I, I actually think the solution to this problem 
should be PlayStation confirming that that particular online check will exist in perpetuity. And I sort of wish that that's something they would come forward and say. Like, I understand why companies aren't going to come forward and say, you know, hey, this shop or this multiplayer game, these servers are going to exist in perpetuity forever. Our online shop is going to exist forever. All these games are there are going to be available to you forever. I understand why a lot of companies wouldn't do this, but this is something so minor, so minimal that I wouldn't, I honestly wouldn't understand why PlayStation wouldn't come forward and say, Hey, yes, this is our intention because it's imperative in order for the hardware to operate. This is an online check that will exist in perpetuity. Like we will always have servers active to ensure that when you plug that system in, or if at some point in the future, like I said, 25, 30 years from now, you find yourself uh, getting a digital version of, of this new PlayStation 5, and you are able to get your hands on that disk drive, that you are able to create that connection. Because if not, obviously, this is going to lead to a lot of plastic waste, you know, 25 years from now. I can't imagine a scenario where something like that would be so expensive for them to maintain that there's something that would prevent them from saying, even if it's not like written in concrete, even if you come forward with a statement and say, it is our intention that there will, you will always be able to create that 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 test no matter what happens in the future to the console no matter what happens in the future to, to whatever your online plans are the playstation store whatever what have you that particular online check will always exist and i think that this is kind of one of those things where unfortunately these are conversations that i think more and more people are going to have to get used to I think you're, 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 this is a very, I think, minor thing in the grand scheme of the digital future of video games for, for someone to kind of get used to when it comes to this type of conversation. That unfortunately, when it comes to talking about game preservation, we are not going, I don't think companies are going to get better. I think companies are actually going to get worse at it. Um, there is no doubt that I personally believe that every publisher on the planet and the, all these major platforms are very much looking forward to a digital-only future. And I think that they're in this perfect position to introduce it, where you're able to come forward and it, it really reminds me of like what Remedy said when they announced Alan Wake 2 was digital-only. When they said part of their reasoning was yeah, most people are buying digital nowadays. That that's that that's become this statement that these companies can now hide behind and almost like make it sound like uh, you know, we like physical, we don't want to go there, but you know, our customers have spoken, they prefer digital over physical. So, it's it's become almost like this proof point that they can use to move forward with this digital only future. And that's why I feel like, yeah, yeah, game preservation is not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. And I think it's weird to see 
people in this camp of like, I don't care or it doesn't affect me and it doesn't bother them. Like one person I've seen that's very sort of prevalent in our industry in terms of their influence as a journalist is Jess Corden from Windows Central. He's spoken a lot about, I've seen so many messages from him on Twitter about how he only buys digital only. He doesn't really see what's, what's the big deal of physical going away. And it's an, it's, it's a really large issue. Like it really is a, a big problem and it's a problem that is unique to our industry where right now, right? I have nephews and nieces and there may come a point in time where when my nephew grows up that he may, you know, chances are pretty likely he'll get into hip hop and rap music. And at some point in time, I'll be able to talk music with my nephew and I'll be able to talk to him about the origins of hip hop, you know, and talk about how it started and really be able to have these conversations with him about, you know, the pioneers, Cool Herc, Grandmaster Flash, the message and the origins of 90s. Uh, New York and the impact of Wu-Tang, Nas, Jay-Z, all that stuff, right? And as we're having these conversations, I can choose any myriad of music services, whether that's Apple Music, Spotify, or YouTube, and say, check this album out. Check out Eric B. and Rakim, Paid in Full. Go listen to this album. Go listen to Illmatic. You know, go listen to... Uh, B.I.G., go listen to Ice Cube, go listen to N.W.A., and, and, and really go through this history of music and, and so many of these impactful albums. And all of that is instantly accessible, right? You can share that history with someone else. With our industry, it's not the same. It's not even close to being the same. Whereas if I went to my nephew and I told him, yeah, one game that I loved as a child that, you know, me and, and your grandfather would play is Kung Fu on the NES. That was one of my favorites or, uh, Ken Griffey Jr.'s baseball on SNES, or, you know, even some of my personal favorites on NES. When we have those conversations, I can't say like, okay, power up your new, whatever the heck that next Nintendo switch is going to be. And let's go purchase Kung Fu so so I can show you what this thing was all about. No, I have to go on a computer. I have to get an emulator. I have to get a ROM in order to, you know, show him access to some of those old games. And that's really where we are within our history. Even think about something like Metal Gear Solid. If I, if I speak to someone and I say like, yeah, Metal Gear Solid 4 was an amazing game. Another one of the only few physical games that I still have. I still have my original collector's edition for Metal Gear Solid 4, but I don't have a PlayStation 3. Like I have to go find PlayStation 3 hardware to play that game because that game is stuck on this particular console. And there are rumors that that's going to be part of Metal Gear Solid Collection Volume 2. There's once again, no way I trust Konami uh, to do that any justice, right? Even if they're attempting to bring it forward, if that's even possible, right? Because they would have to really go back to the core and almost really rebuild that game in order to get it working on modern consoles. I just, I personally just don't trust that they're going to do it. And that's really the fight 
for preservation that people are talking about. Like, I think to a lot of people, like, yeah, it might not sound like a big deal right now, but when you're talking about future generations and really trying to get down to the root of sharing a lot of these games that impacted not only just us personally, but impacted our industry and being able to, once again, uh, comparing it to music, for me to draw that line and talk about all these different eras of hip hop, boom bap, uh, gangster rap, all this stuff that happened, right? And for me to have those conversations and then at the same time, be able to have access to the to that music, be able to play it very easily, right? For a $10 subscription or 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 for free really on YouTube, right? You can't do that with video games. And like I said, that is now going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. It should be, right? You would think it would get better when we get digital access. But when you have companies that that is not important, because the level of importance of something in our industry and really for a lot of businesses is how much money it makes. And there's not a lot of money to be made when it comes to maintaining these games or making or ensuring that they're backwards compatible. Like, I think that there is an expectation for each of these consoles when they go into the next generation for them to be backwards compatible. But how backwards compatible? How far back are they going to go? We've seen some companies do better than others like xbox i think is doing doing uh did kind of an okay job but it wasn't super great when it came to dipping into their 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 backlog so i think when it comes to game preservation it is a conversation to be had because you might not think it's a problem but that's because you're not really thinking about it currently as a problem but it can become a problem in certain contexts Another story that came out of PlayStation was Sony Interactive Entertainment Senior Vice President and Head of Global Marketing, Eric Lempel, was asked to explain the price hikes in an interview with Barron's. So if you guys remember, PlayStation Plus had a price hike not too long ago. This was his answer, quote, we want to make PlayStation Plus great for our reboot last year and introducing the tier system. A lot of consumers have recognized that there's a lot of value in PlayStation 5. Like practically everything else in the world, we have to look at our pricing and we have to adjust to market conditions. I'm happy to say, unlike a lot of other subscription services out there, we haven't touched the PlayStation Plus pricing for 85% of the world in many years. This was the first time we did something there. This is obviously not a good answer. (laughs) I personally feel like this is why... uh, you know, so many companies have PR Bibles and, and, and they practice PR answers to questions. I don't think this this doesn't sound like a very carefully sort of meticulously put together type of answer. It, it really feels like an on the fly answer to me because it's the wrong one. I don't think this was uh, answered correctly. But look, let's be honest. This was not. The price wasn't raised really to adjust to inflation or to market conditions. It really was, uh, let's just make more money off of this. <laughs> that's that's really it. Because um, I don't see PlayStation's costs ballooning in terms of their investment into PlayStation Plus the same way that Microsoft's uh, costs 
are ballooning when it comes to their maintenance of Game Pass, right? With sticking to this promise that they made of every single first-party title being put on there, past, present, and future. Something that PlayStation has yet to match, and it doesn't really look like they're, it's something that they're rushing to match currently. I do feel like at some point in the future it is going to happen, or it's going to get closer to release. Right now, it looks like a one-year minimum for a lot of these games to, the, to come to that service. I could see it getting a little bit closer to like six months at some point in the future. I, I personally don't ever foresee a day and date, but you know, we never, you know, you never know this, this stuff can change. You know, the big problem when it came to raising the price of this service is a lot of consumers looked at it as like, you just raised the price, but I didn't get anything for you raising that price. And unfortunately, PlayStation has found itself in the middle of subscription fatigue where we've now entered this moment in, I guess, entertainment consumption period, not even just entertainment, but the consumption of everything and anything, programs, applications, uh, entertainment, where every single thing is now attached to a subscription. And we no longer live in this moment where you pay for something, you have access to it and access to updates uh, for the foreseeable future, right? We're, we're seeing it happen with uh, tools that are used to create the Adobe suite, even things like Canva, for example. And now we're seeing it with, with entertainment where Netflix, Disney+, Plus, HBO, they're all continually, it feels like twice a year, we hear about the price going up. And I think for a lot of consumers, they look at it as like, okay, the way we've always looked at things in the world, really, is when the price of something goes up, we have to ask ourselves, why is the price of that thing going up? And that's why I like to use Game Pass as a perfect example. The price of Game Pass went up and it was almost like unanimously instantly accepted from consumers because they looked at it as, well, the price is going up to a few dollars more per month, but what am I getting in return? What they noticed was that around the time that Xbox announced that price increase, they were noticing that they were doing the service really, really well. There were a lot of great games coming to it. There were a lot of day one titles, first party and third, even though, you know, first party was still a bit weak. They were striking a lot of good third party deals there. You know, Xbox was working really hard to find some great indie titles, some surprises in there that a lot of people probably would never have played if it never came to game pass. And then they understood that it was pretty likely that they were going to close that Activision Blizzard deal. So to them, it's like, okay, yep, you could raise it up, which is why I talked about that. Right now, Xbox could raise the price to $20. Let's say next May or next June, a few months removed after they add a couple Activision Blizzard titles, they announced that the price is going up to $20 a month. I, I think we're going to have another moment where people are like, yep, I'm okay with it. Because not only have they continued to fuel the service, especially what we've been seeing within like the last two months, it's been astronomical, the amount of games that they've been adding to it. New ones, say the Skyline, Lies of P, uh, you know, Dead Space 3, which came out earlier this year, was just added to the service. A lot of people are understanding that value. PlayStation can't really say the same thing. You know, they, they increased the price 
of the service by minimum, I think it was like $40 or something like that for one or $20, I think it was for the entry tier. And they haven't really justified it. So, you, you know, these types of explanations about like, oh, well, we're just adjusting the marking conditions. It's no longer defensible. <laughs> you know, you can't really stand behind that stuff anymore. You know, it just doesn't really work. Other things that came internally, PlayStation's head of internal production, Connie Booth, is no longer at Sony. God of War creator David Jaffe is is sort of uh, alluding that she probably was fired. There is no confirmation of that. She was, she was with the company for over 30 years and was actually inducted into the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences Hall of Fame in 2020 because she was integral in helping produce many beloved SIE titles over the past 25 years. It's highly likely that this woman was fired because there, um, when they made the announcement, there was a statement from PlayStation, but there really wasn't a, a statement from her. You know, normally when a person's retired or they decide to leave, there's usually a statement from them. They come forward and they think the company, they think their colleagues. There wasn't any of that. So, uh, I, I think it is highly likely that this woman uh, was fired, which is obviously very unfortunate for someone who's been with the company for over 30 years. And then there was also this rumor that one of the reasons why she was fired is that internally the company, or, or it was due to their life service planning, but then there was another rumor that the company has decided to scale back on their future live service games, but that rumor originated from a reset error post that user also claimed that Sony would pivot towards striking more third-party exclusivity deals and apparently are working with Sega on a Wipeout reboot. Like, look, when you have a rumor, whatever, a quote-unquote insider rumor, you have to be able to understand that you can tip the scale. And to say that Sony went to Sega and said, hey, guys, would you like to reboot Wipeout of all games, <laughs> of all games that Sony has in there, uh, discography. They said, let's wipe out, excuse me, let's reboot Wipeout. And instead of giving it to one of our teams internally, like, you know, uh, I don't know, that team that did Destruction All-Stars, I can't remember the name of that team. They probably uh, would be able to do something like this. No, we're actually going to go to Sega. This tipped the scale. This is uh, probably complete 100% bullshit. And honestly, even without that, I wouldn't have believed this rumor. No, I do not believe that PlayStation has all of a sudden decided to do a 180 on their live service. I think that, yes, because of the current climate in video games over the last year, especially when it comes to live service games and a bit of rejection from consumers, I think it's something that they're going to look internally and reevaluate. But do I think that this is going to be the death of live service at PlayStation? Hell no, that's not going to happen. I think they are going to move forward with a lot of those games that they've already uh, announced. And now in our final story, we're going to talk a bit about Xbox. So we're going to start it off with uh, in its Q1 2024 results, which were published on Tuesday, Microsoft said it had generated over $3.9 billion from gaming, which is Xbox's highest ever Q1 reported and a record for a non-holiday quarter overall gaming revenue increased by nine percent year on year revenue from xbox content and services which is the division's biggest money generator was up 13 percent year over year driven by growth in xbox 
Game Pass. They also revealed that Starfield generated the highest single day ad of game subscribers and excuse me, Game Pass subscribers in the history of the service. More than 11 million people have played Starfield. Xbox hardware revenue was decreased by 7%, which Microsoft said was driven by a lower number of consoles sold, offset in part by higher prices. So all of this is literally, every single thing that I just announced in there is, how do I put this? Is music to Xbox's ears. Like that result that I just read is exactly what Xbox has been working towards for the last few years. To see Game Pass growth, growth in uh, revenue for Xbox's content and services, and a decrease in the amount of hardware. For them, all that is win, 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 check, check, check. Like, of course, you don't want hardware revenue to go down, but it's something that for them is an expected trade-off because this was Xbox's pivot years ago. And it, I still find it so hilarious to watch these stupid PlayStation fanboys on Twitter talking about, oh, look, it's selling. Look at look at that there. Xboxes aren't selling. It's like, you moron. Like Or when people talk about like, oh, you know, you don't even need an Xbox. You can buy a PC. And I'm like, yeah, Xbox is going to recommend that. <laughs> like Phil Spencer is going to sit there and agree with you and go like, okay, cool. If you want to play on PC, that's fine. Oh, you want to play your cell phone? That's fine. They don't care. You know, Xbox understood. This was the, this is literally the, grand vision that phil spencer saw over you know close to five plus years ago this is what they've been working towards and it's been very interesting over the last few weeks because i feel like there's been some talks about like oh look playstation is suffering xbox is, is on the rise now and i'll really look at i don't think it's as black and white as that i think that this is more we're at the moment now, especially after the Activision Blizzard purchase, where everything that Xbox and Microsoft had been working towards, all that time and money invested, it's almost like now the machine has been clicked on and, and, and the wheels are turning. I still think they think that they have a lot more to prove, especially in gaming output. According to Satya Nadella, he said, quote, we're looking forward to really doubling down both as a game producer and a publisher. Now we'll be one of the largest game publishers and also as a company that's building platforms for it. So it's great that he's saying it. I think my biggest issue with Xbox is it's a lot of talking and not enough walking. So I think that, yes, all the tools are in place right now, over 30 internal studios for them to have a much healthier output but they're still not there yet. It's looking good, right? It's looking great, but it's looked good and it's looked great in the past for Xbox. But for me, I think that the time for talking is over and we're now at the time of action. I think for a lot of consumers, for what they're trying to go towards, for what their strategy is, they, we need to see more output. We need more games from them. And obviously they have a lot of things in the pipeline, but they've suffered in the past. So I don't think that we're at this point right now where we can just 100% trust anything that Xbox is saying in terms of their output. I think it's very important to 
to see the fruits of those labors more so than just hear about it. They also announced a bit of a corporate restructure. ZeniMax and Bethesda will now report to Matt Booty as a newly appointed president of game content and studios. First of all, very, very good decision making here. I think that when the companies were first taken over, it was a very hands-off approach from Xbox. We've noticed now that there are some issues, <laughs> right? Stemming from that, we saw it with, uh, obviously, Redfall. And, uh, you know, we saw it also kind of a bit with Starfield, right? Starfield did not really perform. Like, yes, there were players there, right? 11 million people. But I think it's important to acknowledge how many of those people, uh, you know, are accessing it for, through Game Pass, for example. And I think it's important to know what are the legs like on this game. The reviews from users and um, critical acclaim are nowhere near, I think, what Xbox would have liked to see. So it'll be interesting to see the type of legs that this game has, especially compared to Bethesda games in the past, like Skyrim, for example. So I think bringing them closer to the fold is the right move. And then former VP Sarah Bond will now be president of Xbox in charge of everything related to the platform, including devices, play and creative experiences, platform engineering, strategy, business planning, data and analytics, and business development. Well-earned and deserved. She's pretty much been all over Xbox for the last few years, especially her work within, you know, cultivating the Xbox community. I think she's done a great job. So no complaints there, right? That's just a, a perfectly valid, amazing move that they've made. And now I just want to end it off with talking about this Xbox Partner Showcase that uh, debuted last week. It was sort of a bit of a surprise. They announced it, and I think two days later, two or three days later was when it actually went live. And this was just a look at a lot of third-party games, starting with like a Dragon Infinite Wealth, which introduced this almost Animal Crossing Island building mode coming January 26th. I think that Yakuza series has for a long time been on my backlog for quite some time, more so because so many people talk about this game. I think I attempted to try it once. When it came to Game Pass, it might have been Yakuza 0, and it kind of just didn't click with me. But I want to go back and give it another try because so many people talk about this series and I know absolutely nothing about it. I might at some point go back and, and try to give it another uh, go. You know, this type of stuff, whenever games introduce build modes, uh, it's just something that personally for me, I want to say it completely turns me off, but it's an aspect of video games where I'm like, eh, I, I really don't want this. There are these moments where... I think I want to try it out. Like last time I remember was for Starfield when it came to like building ships or like decorating a home. I remember one of the homes that I bought in Starfield, I had like this grandmaster plan. I was like, oh, this is going to be the room where all my armor is and my guns. And then this is like where I do all my research and blah, 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 blah. And I, I would like grab stuff to try to decorate things. And I remember I attempted for like 20 minutes and it's not the most, I, I, I would say it's not really the most user-friendly system when it comes to building and putting state things down. 
And very quickly, I was like, this is dumb. I'm not, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> I just completely gave up with it. Same thing with building a ship. I barely touched. I never built a ship from scratch. I'm just not really into building things in video games. Uh, so this sort of introduction, that's, it really didn't do anything for me personally. Then we saw a new game debut called Ikaro Will Not Die from the same team behind Power Wash Simulator. So it looked like this uh, third-person action exploration roguelite kind of game. That looked kind of cool. We got a new look at Still Wakes the Deep, which I'm looking forward to. That looks really cool. We got a launch trailer for Robocop Rogue City, which I'm very much looking forward to. We got a new look at Dungeon of Hinterberg, which looked really cool. That's coming next year to Game Pass. That looked uh, pretty nice. Spirit of the North 2 was a new game that was introduced during this North uh, showcase. That looked really cool. And then this enormous surprise. There's no way anyone had this on their bingo card. We got the first in-engine footage for Metal Gear Solid Snake 3 Delta Snake Eater Remake, right? No one could have seen this coming, right? Uh, I think so many people connect Konami so close with PlayStation. We know that they had the Silent Hill exclusivity deal. The first time that they announced this remake was at a PlayStation event. So this was very surprising. Uh, but at, at the same time, when you think about it, I think it's a little less surprising because I think it just shows where, uh, you know, Konami is. I think the reason why Silent Hill's PlayStation exclusive is because that one, I feel like they look at it as more of a risk uh, in terms of making their money back compared to Metal Gear. I think that's why that one's exclusive. And I think that's, one, that's why that one's almost rebuilt from the ground up uh, by a, a separate team. I think that's one of the reasons why. Once this in-engine footage came out, there was a little bit of a debate I saw online where people were talking about that. Oh, you know, good graphics cannot replace good, you know, artistic direction. A lot of people were, were talking about uh, what the internet has coined the piss filter, which is sort of that that orange-green filter that was on top of Metal Gear Solid 3, Snake Eater. And I think that I understand stand where people are coming from in terms of looking at this game as something about it feeling off almost cold and sterile in terms of this um this remake for me i'm mostly bothered by big boss i just feel like it the face for some reason to me looks really off i don't think it really looks or really makes me feel like that uh naked snake you know for me personally uh, I will say, like, I walked away from the trailer going, wow, this looks really good. But I, there is a part of me that does kind of agree with other people. There is something a little bit soulless and sterile and very corporate about this um, this remake. It really does feel, in a sense, sort of phoned in, you know. Um, yeah, I, I, I sort of do agree with with people in a sense where I think that something is going to be lost in this remake. And I think part of that is definitely due to the fact that the creator and not just even, not just Kojima himself, but key parts of that creative team are not involved in any way, shape or form with this uh, remake remaster, whatever it is that you want to call it. And I think that does come through when you watch that trailer where there is 
you know, something like, I don't know, it, it does really feel like a engine test footage sort of feel is what you get from it. I understand where people are coming from when you watch that trailer. Like I said, it, I think the best way I can explain it is, is sterile. It feels very sterile, very cold, very calculated, very Konami, to tell you the truth. Very much like, uh, hey, we're going to pay you guys, make it look shiny, but we're not going to go too far. Uh, so once again, I think I said this even when they first announced a remake, I do not trust Konami, not in the slightest. I probably trust them about as far as I can toss their building. You know, I, I just don't trust that company at all to do this game any justice. Then we got to look at a game called Manor Lords. We got a new trailer for the finals, free-to-play game, the finals, which has had a lot of closed betas, but they announced an open beta during this partner showcase. It peaked on Steam at 267,874 players, so definitely a success, but I still worry whenever I see these type of free-to-play games. I always look at this pop and success, and I go, that's great. It's really nice that you guys are able to do that. How long can you sustain it? And this to me looks like a game that I think it's going to have a nice ride for a few months, but I, I, I don't see it really having the, the legs, um, but you know, we'll have to wait and see. We got a new look at Ark Survival Ascended, and then we got a launch trailer for Alan Wake 2, which I still haven't finished. I've, I'm about like 13 hours in. I've been playing it on and off. I was a bit sick last week, so I wasn't really able to play it as much as I would have liked to, but it's definitely, I haven't even finished it. Um, I'm really confident it's my personal game of the year. I think that after, like I said, not even finishing the game, I do personally believe that Game of the Year is head-to-head. I think Game of the Year is Baldur's Gate 3 versus Alan Wake 2. I really think that's what it is. And this is interesting because I feel like I started this year saying, well, Game of the Year kept changing. But at the beginning of the year, I was saying, it's Tears of the Kingdom versus Starfield, as long as Starfield can nail the landing. Starfield did not nail the landing. <laughs> like, uh, to be honest with you, if Starfield didn't get nominated for Game of the Year, um, I I'd understand. <laughs> like, I think I I think Starfield for me might end up being the big the disappointment of the year for me personally. But uh, now I I look at it as like you know now that we're a little over a month removed from the Game Awards. I really truly believe that it is Baldur's Gate 3 versus Alan Wake 2. I think that Baldur's Gate 3 might still win it, you know, but I think that it is down to those two. And I know for a fact that, uh, especially because I didn't play Baldur's Gate 3, it's not my type of game. Alan Wake 2 is my personal game of the year, but I really, I would not be surprised if Baldur's Gate 3 took it. So yeah, that was the Xbox Partner Shake Showcase. I love this. And I think it was really unanimous. A lot of people liked this format. I just really liked that there was no talking. You know, um, you know, Nintendo started this sort of direct format and they've always included these transitions in between, you know, dun, 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 you hear the music and they're like, oh, you know, let's go back to you know, the Mushroom Kingdom. And it's like these little intros. I'm just like, yeah, we really kind of don't need this. And then Xbox went through all these formats where they would have, 
you know, these stoppages where people talking and, and stuff like that. And I think at some moments, um, it can be good in very brief spurts, but I think that this is literally the perfect format where it's just like trailer after trailer after trailer. The only things in between where they were advertising Xbox wire articles, like sort of this thing where it's like, Hey, there's an article up if you want to learn more about this particular game. But outside of that, it was trailer after trailer after trailer, no commentary, no people. I think that's the way to do it. I think the only thing that I could probably add to this would be like an after show where, you know, uh, that, for example, Ikaro Will Not Die was a new game that was announced here. Maybe there's a bit of an after show where one of the producers or directors talks about that game and, and dives a little bit deeper into what type of game it is. But within the initial showcase, you don't have that. Don't do it. <laughs> you know, I love that it's back to back. And same thing, like PlayStation Stake of Play started doing the same thing with us, like these little transitions or PlayStation is just obsessed with themselves where they had these, these 3D models of like the triangle and the square and the X and all this crazy stuff where, you know, PlayStation symbols moving around in goo. And I'm like, we, we don't need this. Like, <laughs> you know, we don't need any of this. Just go trailer after trailer after trailer. So... I'm really happy to see this because it seems it, it looks like a format that is really built purely off of feedback because I know I'm not alone when it comes to that feedback of just like, I'm here to see games. Like you invited me to watch this, to, 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 to watch this showcase, to look at games. It's called a showcase. I, I just want to see games. I don't need a host uh, asking questions that were pre-rehearsed and, watching developers answer questions that they themselves asked, right? Like we know it's very transparent that the people answering the questions also came, excuse me, uh, the people making the answers also came up with the questions. Like you're not fooling anyone here. So I love this um, this format. Look, I think overall Xbox is, is doing a lot of great things. Um, they're not without their L's. They apparently almost doubled the price of the Xbox Series S in Brazil which a lot of people are unanimously opposed to. It's apparently the same price as the PlayStation 5 Digital Edition, which is preposterous. I think that's ridiculous. Uh, a lot of people are asking Xbox to reverse that decision. I personally don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> I think that's one of those things where um, uh, raising the price drastically by that much in a place like Brazil, I think there is a lot of we need to do this over there, combined also with we want to do this, but I think it's a lot, there's a lot of weight to, we need to do this. So I don't personally think that that's um, going to be reversed. This week's hot releases. It, this is a ridiculously huge list we have here. October 31st, we have Jusant PC, PS5, Xbox Series X also coming to Game Pass. Age of Empires 2 Definitive Edition, the Mountain Royals expansion coming to PC. November 1st, we have Rollercoaster Tycoon Adventures Deluxe, PC, P4, P5, Switch, Xbox Series X, Song of Nunu, a League of Legends story that's coming to all consoles, Alien Hominid HD, PC, Switch, Xbox One, and Series X. Uh, same consoles, we're also going to get Alien Hominid Invasion. November 2nd, The Toddler's Principles 2, PC, PS5, Xbox Series X, Thirsty Suitors, 
PC, P4, PS, actually all consoles. Star Ocean, second story R, PC, P4, P5, Switch. Dead Island 2 gets a house expansion. PC, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X. Robocop Rogue City, also November 2nd. PC, PS5, Xbox Series X. Then on November 3rd, we have EA Sports WRC, PS, PC, PS5, Xbox Series X, Warcraft, Arc Light Rumble, iOS and Android, DreamWorks All-Star, Kart Racing, all consoles, Quantum Era come to PS5, Microsoft Flight Simulator gets the Dune expansion, that's only for PC and Xbox Series X, WarioWare Move It, of course, a Switch exclusive on November 3rd, and that is also the start of BlizzCon 2023. Oh, that was a lot. Time for us to wrap it up. The stories we didn't have time to get to. The Fallout TV series is launching April 12th, 2024. I'm very much looking forward to this. There was a trailer that had leaked. I forgot what event. I think it was Gamescom. It came out of. I think I think it looks amazing. I think they have a great team behind it. Very much looking forward to this. According to analyst Michael Metzger, a partner at Tech Mergers and Acquisitions Investment Bank, Drake Starr, Games industry investment and deals are expected to rise steadily over the next 12 months. Look, I'm just a lowly podcast host, but I guarantee you, you did not need a analyst to tell you that this is about to start happening. It's going to increase within the next 12 months with all due respect to Michael. Gameloft has announced that Disney Dreamlight Valley will leave early access on December 5th, 2023, but it will no longer be going free to play when it does. I love this this company announced it as a way and like, uh, yeah, we think this is best for the game, blah, 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 blah. But then, of course, they didn't also announce that there would be no free-to-play elements in the game. So it's kind of funny because they're selling you a boxed copy of the game and then it's filled with microtransactions. Why? Because this is created by a company called Gameloft, a mobile-first company, right? Uh, really, really stupid. Mortal Kombat is selling a Halloween-themed fatality for $12, this uh, this kind of has echoes of that Overwatch video that I made on our YouTube channel where I talked about how what is true greed and greed for a developer is selling you a $70 game and then selling you extras. <laughs> so trying to sell you a fatality for $12. On one hand, I do agree this is ridiculous. This is so blood-sucking from Netherrealm. On the other hand, if you're stupid enough to pay $12 for a t- fatality, go ahead. Get Netherrealm more money. A lot of people are loving the game. And finally, former Bethesda employee Bruce, Bruce Neesmith, who worked on Starfield as senior systems designer, spoke to MinMax about the game's scope. He claimed that game director Todd Howard pretty much pulled the number 100 for the number of solar systems out of thin air. But the more we went on, the more it was like, okay, so all the core activity takes place in these two dozen the solar systems, and the rest of it is open space. But people love our big games. They love that open area to explore. So let's go ahead and let them have it. I will definitely go ahead and say that this was the single worst design decision for Starfield. The worst design decision that they made was to have over a thousand planets. It really was. And I think at first it sounded cool. I can admit, even I thought it was kind of cool. I was like, oh. Now, I love the idea of being able to step foot on a planet that no one has ever stepped foot on. It gets old really, really fast, <laughs> um, especially when you find these places of interest and they are identical. Like, you know, 
the placement of a DigiPick on a desk is in the same exact place that you'll find it on a completely different planet. It gets old really, really fast. And I think it is a design decision that sunk the game. With all due respect to Todd Howard, the man is still a goat. It was a poor, poor design decision. Shout out. We got two this week. Of course, one of them is layoff. Shout out to Media Molecule. who announced they are laying off 15 to 20% of their staff which is around 20 of its 135 employees. And finally, shout out to itch.io. Their Games for Gaza bundle has already surpassed $200,000, which will all go to medical aid for Palestinians. Free Palestine till it's backwards. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Please follow us on Twitter and YouTube at Kemkoji for future updates. Once again, I'm Joel, and I'll see you all next week.